Welcome to another edition of On the Road with the Legal Talk Network. I'm Patrick Pallas, and I'm the host for this episode, which is being recorded from the National Conference of Bar Presidents 2022 virtual mid-year meeting from Seattle, Washington. As a national network, the NCBP brings together current and past leaders of state, metropolitan, and affinity bar associations to share their ideas and share how to address critical issues facing the legal profession. Joining me today, right here and right now, I have Nika, Nika Kabiri. Welcome, Nika, to our show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure having you here and getting the opportunity to have this conversation, which, frankly, I've been wanting to have for a long time. Before we begin, can you tell uh, our listeners just a little bit about yourself? And I'm sure I'm going to have some questions about it, but give us a little background. Sure. So um, what I do is decision science. I basically um, work with people and businesses to help them make the best decisions. That involves telling them what to do. It involves also telling them why they're going, you know, the wrong way or what's leading them astray. Um, I've been working in this area of decision making in various ways for about 20 or so years. I've done some writing. I've done some radio, TV, I, all sorts of stuff. I don't know if that's, that pretty much covers uh, the basics. <laughs> the hardest thing to, like, to brag about oneself, isn't it? No, thank you for, for doing is. that. Um, it is. And thank you for joining us. What we're going to do is, is discuss decision science uh, and how it can be used to help us make better decisions as bar leaders, as lawyers, well, as humans, right? Parents, life partners, business partners, friends, I mean, decision science doesn't have barriers to who it applies to, does it? It does not. It, it does not. I mean, it, it applies to what earrings you want to wear in the morning, which is a decision I had to make. It, it, it's relevant everywhere. A little bit about this. And, and before I, 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 I let you loose on what decision science is, I just got to say, I love this piece of your background that is you're a lawyer, but you're also a, a PhD in, in sociology. I think, you know, that is such a perfect marriage and such a unique marriage um, I'm, I'm wondering if you can tell us how being a PhD and a, and a lawyer fits together in, in your vision of bringing decision science uh, to the profession. Yeah, you know, it's, it's kind of interesting that um, my introduction to rational thinking really did come in law school. It didn't really happen in law school. I mean, I did study rational choice theory extensively as a sociology um, graduate student, but way before that, it was even studying for the LSATs. Like, there's something about the way that lawyers have to engage with information that requires that that rational thought, um, objectivity. Um, you know, reasonableness. So it, it was a natural, very comfortable transition to go into sociology and decision science, having already had that training in, you know, not letting emotion or not letting um, bias sort of sway even just what happens in the courtroom, but also what happens in the way that you practice. Um, so very natural kind of connection there, I think. So tell us about decision science. How, how, what is it? How does it work? Yeah. So Decision science is, there's a, there's a science to it, right? There's, it's a, the science of decision-making. Um, there's a lot of, um, if you really look at 
hardcore decision science. There's a lot of math behind it, a lot of statistics. So um, the idea is that there's a an optimal way to make choices that get you to your outcome. Um, but there is the other part of decision science, which I find much more fun and much more fascinating, um, which is why we can't do that, why we are unable as human beings to actually do it right. Even if science, even though scientists are out there giving us a blueprint and telling us what to do and giving us the math, the hard math, hardcore math to do it right, um, we're going to fail over and over again because we are limited psychologically, because we are influenced sociologically. And um, so decision science is really the study of those two things, in my opinion, how to do it right, how to get that optimization, and also, on the other hand, how to avoid the bias and the influence that leads you in the wrong direction. I'm sure you can relate. So it's a, yes, it's, a, <laughs> it's important this, yeah. to, to know how not to make a decision as much as it is the, the logic tree to how to make yeah. a decision, right? Absolutely, absolutely. Um, where we go wrong is, I don't know, it's interesting, but it's also automatic. And it's, it's not just as simple as, as knowing what biases are. Practicing not engaging in those biases is just as important in making the right choice as, you know, following a path. I can see this topic in so many places, um, your, your relationship uh, or deciding to get married or having kids or having a partner in law or, or all of these things. You have been involved with uh, many organizations, helping them make decisions with consumers, consumer decisions, but you also published a book. And I just want to ask you about this book for a minute. You published this best-selling book, Money Off the Table, Decision Science and the Secret to Smarter Investing. Why did you start there? Yeah. And, and what's the takeaway for all of of us investors out there uh, looking at you for answers. The origin story for this book was um, just having conversations with the co-author, who's a good friend of mine, Tony Sablon. He happens to be a wealth advisor, and we happened to train at the same MMA gym for many years together. And we just were having these conversations where he would tell me stories about his clients where he would give them all of this rational advice and lay out all this, you know, really great information for them so they could make the obvious rational decision. And time and again, they wouldn't. And he couldn't understand it. He's like, why are people doing these really dumb things with their money? And and the more we talked, the more I realized, you know, this is a decision science problem. This is this is about trying to unpack the application of decision science to investing. So that's that's where that came about. And, you know, the 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 kind of structure of the book is really about being aware. I mean, the, the being aware of all these different ways in which we make the wrong decisions about money. And then also there are many chapters in the book that kind of profile um, or maybe even stereotype different types of investors, like the investor who just amasses wealth for the sake of wealth or the investor that goes along with the bandwagon um, and does day trading and uses the wrong kind of logic, um, the person who listens to experts at the um, at the expense of listening to themselves or look, looking at their own end games. So there are all these little flaws and every chapter covers kind of a, a, a type um, and maybe one of those types would be someone out there. Um, but, but that's really what the book is about. Um, and like you said, and decision science can apply to everything and anything, and this is just one way in which decision science has a really great application. I love how simple you have made this. I mean, you've got this down to essentially six steps, and it's kind of a, a do's and don'ts six steps, but it's six steps, and I, I wish to... I wish we had time to go through all this because it's a it's a wonderful class on making incredible decisions well. Uh, but can I can I dig into some of the the 
problems that I think that people face and just ask you as maybe your six steps wherever it fits in, what do you do with this? And, and one of the things is this, and it's a problem I have every day. Like, I want to make a choice or a decision based on the best information I have, but I never have it. Or even if it's out there, I don't have time to go get it. What do you do when you have to make a decision or you're making decisions and you feel like, gosh, I wish I had all the information? Right. Well, first, be sure that you can't get all the information because some things are knowable and you just kind of give up before you give it a shot. Um, it's, a, it's a really kind of common bias to assume that everything that's in front of you is all there is to see. And well, if, you know, if you have information is in front of me or if, if I don't already have it in my head, then uh, you know, I don't have it. And sometimes you can actually get it. When I advise people on their personal decision making, that's the number one thing I see coming up over and over again is, you know, they just don't have enough information and they can get it and they don't think they can. So just be sure, be sure about that. Now, if you absolutely can't get all the information, the brain automatically kind of slips into binary mode and it just kind of gives up like, okay, I can't get all of it. So I'm not going to go with any of it. Um, the better way to go is to estimate risk, right? Um, is to kind of understand for yourself what the information you have really does mean, how much uncertainty it does take away. You might not know it all, but any bit of information reduces that risk in your decision-making. So don't slip into this, oh, well, I'm going to give up. I'm just going to go with my gut. You know, make a guess. What are the chances based on the information I can have and do know, what are the chances that a particular outcome will happen? So that's kind of the way to hack that, I think. Any recommendations to people? Like I know there's a, uh, a science out there, or at least a, a, a model out there that says, you know, all you need is, is 60% of the information to make a good decision because that last 40 is probably not really going to change anything. I'm, I'm wondering how you feel about those kind of models. Oh, I really don't like rules of thumb. I think they're really kind of nifty and cute. Um, and I think they're a good start. But every decision is different. Every situation is different. Um, if you're in a situation where you have to make a choice and the stakes are super high, like say it's life or death, right? I mean, let's think of something super tragic, like should you know, my, my loved ones on life support, should I pull the plug? Do you really want to settle on 60% of the information? I mean, I don't think so. Um, should I have pizza for dinner or should I have grilled, you know, grilled chicken? Like I could go with 2% of the information and make a choice pretty comfortably, right? So I, I think those rules of thumb are kind of nifty and cute and, and could be a, a starting point. But with that said, there is a point in every decision where any more information you gather is going to kind of not give you that much more, you know, insight, um, there's a diminishing return on investment at some point. So um, and economists call this satisficing. There's that point where any little bit of effort you take to get more in intel is really not going to pay off and it's not going to be worth it. Now, whether that's at 60% or 5% or something else, it really depends on the situation. But, um, but there is a point. That's, that's, that's for sure. Now, there's a real skill out there, isn't there, of, of you know, right-sizing your decision, knowing uh, how much time to spend, how much information you need to fit, you know, really the size of the question you're trying to resolve. Um, how do you figure that out? Right. So um, I, I tend to kind of start with constraints because sometimes you don't have to figure it out. One constraint is time. If you don't have a lot of time, then you really don't have to 
ask yourself, well, how much information do I have to get? You don't have any time to get information. That kind of, the time constraint makes that choice for you. If the stakes are really high, um, you know, you kind of want to do everything you can to spend, to, to get as much information as you want. So that kind of guides you in a way as well. And then there's this issue of reversibility. Um, if you can reverse your decision easily, then it doesn't really matter. You can kind of Nah, make make a gut decision or shortcut, take a shortcut. Um, you don't want to expend the energy. Save that energy for those situations that are reversible, that are, sorry, are not reversible, not easily reversed, and, um, and take your time really kind of doing the research there. But again, if every bit of information you get doesn't teach you that much and that much new, anything new, then you've kind of hit that spot. That's how you know. If you keep learning the same thing over and over again, hearing the same thing over and over again. Every effort that you make gives you very little new, net new info. Um, that's kind of, that's your sign to maybe slow down. Well, and there's a lot of um, influences out there in the world. I mean, I'm thinking about some of the decisions I make and it, it's, um, you know, what are, gonna, what are people going to say? Or maybe my best friend's like, you definitely can't do that. That'd be the stupidest thing in the world or something, you know? I mean, there's, there's friends and know? family. There's, you know, uh, there's, there's um, your peers. There's a lot of pressure, I think, in, in making decisions. Then you feel their, their, their pressure. How does this fit into making a good decision? Yeah, so the, the need to belong is a primal need. We're social creatures in tribal societies. We relied on our tribe you know, in agrarian societies even. And we relied on each other in a way that we maybe don't today. Um, and so this, this need to belong is, is kind of at the root of um, survival. Like, you know, we, if we fit in, we aren't ostracized, we aren't rejected, we have a better chance of survival. So when people pressure us to do what they want us to do, there's a lot at stake for them to get us to do that because they, their survival depends on that kind of sense of connection and that, you know, that we're on the same page. Um, and we feel pressured because we want that connection. We want to be on the same page. I think the key is to recognize that that's happening and to not let that necessarily drive your decision making, but to be an input into your decision making, like to control the influence that has on you. So rather than say, well, I guess I have to go, okay, here's a great simple example. I guess I have to watch this Netflix movie because my wife wants to watch it and we watch what she wants every night. Like rather than, than go, you know, down that route and say, okay, I guess this is my choice. Um, just use that as an input, you know, and decide, well, maybe I can sit here and watch it, or maybe I can go read a book or, um, you know, and then what are this, what are the pros and cons of that? Like, you don't have to let pressure drive you, but you don't have to, I think anyone who, who says, I don't care what people think and I do whatever I want and it doesn't really bother me what anybody thinks. Um, they're probably not being genuine with themselves. You have to pay attention to that. Just factor it in. Don't, don't let it control you. There's uh, also like internal influences that we have. Like I'm thinking uh, Malcolm Gladwell has written a book, uh, uh, you know, in some ways focused around uh, arrogance of, of people who say, I got this covered. I don't have to make this, do this thing right now. And he talks about a, a general who, uh, who had uh, the opposing forces surrounded and he lets them essentially walk away because he's like, they can't get away. I've got this. I'm the world's greatest general. And he makes a terrible choice based on his, his own ego. I'm wondering kind of uh, advice you have for people who feel like I've done this a million times. I got this covered. I'm, I'm all in. This is an easy decision for me. I can't go wrong. 
Yeah, you know, that's interesting because um, a general gen- general generally has quite a bit of expertise, right? They've kind of done this over and over again. It's, it's, it's interesting how people who have expertise, you would think that they might be more humble, but they actually, because they've had a lot of experience at success, they think that success is imminent. Um, I think overconfidence bias is a, is, is a, a risk that everyone faces. And what overconfidence bias really is, is this tendency to think that you are more knowledgeable or more capable than, evi- than the evidence would actually suggest. And um, not only is it a psychological bias, but I think that we live in a culture and a society where self-doubt is, you know, is seen as lack of confidence when that's a negative thing, like a low self-esteem, that um, that you have to act like you know what you're talking about. You have to act like you know what you're saying. Like even me, like sitting here talking to you, I kind of have to act like I know what I'm saying when in the back of my mind, what I, what I think is really a healthy thing to do is to constantly wonder, like check, doubt, um, assess. Like, so living a life of doubt, of self-doubt is not the same as living a life of self-deprecation or low self-esteem. It's really just keeping your overconfidence in check. And if you can do that, then you won't get into the, the kind of um, situations that this general in Malcolm Gladwell's book got into. You won't just assume that you know it all. You'll, you'll practice questioning. Like, am I sure that I know this? Am I sure that I'm doing the right thing? And then being sure and actually doing the right thing. There's, uh, you know, in yoga, we, we talk about having a beginner's mind, always looking at things fresh yes. uh, and never assuming we know everything there is and being bored in it. So I guess part of decision science is being curious and looking things with a fresh view. Yeah. Yes. I love that. That is absolutely right. There's a lot of decision science insight and wisdom in that, in seeing things in a fresh, with a fresh perspective. Yeah. I'm wondering, let's suppose that I have uh, taken your class at the University of Washington and I now feel like I'm pretty competent at going through uh, the steps to making a good decision. And now I want to influence somebody important to make a decision that is good for me or good for the community or whatever the reason is. I'm wondering if this decision science can be a tool that someone can use to influence another person to make good decisions. Yes, scarily so. <laughs> um, it is it's almost frighteningly uh, effective in a way that almost can border on unethical. And I say that because a lot of businesses use these principles to influence the decisions of their consumers. Um, I know this because I've participated in this also and like firsthand seen this sort of thing. Just something as simple as the way that you present options to someone can influence their their decision. Um, you know, offering them different like options that are are all in your favor and giving them the illusion of choice. That's one way in which you can kind of be manipulative. Um, another is to, um, oh, I don't know, present them with information that triggers um, an emotional response, right? A hot state that that motivates them to make an impulsive decision when they otherwise wouldn't make an impulsive decision. There are all sorts of things that businesses do and that people do. I mean, you know, I think a lot, a lot of people who are, are quite manipulative in the, in the real world have kind of, through trial and error, learned a lot of these skills and not even known it. So yeah, it's pretty effective. And some of the the hardest things to do as someone who wants to be persuasive is to do it ethically. 
So I have time for one more question and I have like 40, but let me just try to get this down to one. If, if you want to give us some advice, uh, if we're trying to make a good decision, what kind of quick thoughts or what can you leave us with to help us make a decision other than read your book or come take your class? You're asking me to, to simplify all of this into one tidbit. That's really hard. <laughs> How about a tip? Okay. I will reiterate an ad. So I will reiterate this overconfidence bias. Um, it is the play, it is the, you know, the mother of all biases. If you have overconfidence, you're never going to see anything else. So beware of that. You know, if I were going to give you a takeaway, I'd say, remember you're human, that you can do the best that you, um, even someone who's skilled in, with, at decision science and armed with all the best um, knowledge will make tons of mistakes. I am proof positive of this. And that part of being really aware of decision science is knowing where to cut yourself some slack because you're going to mess up. Everything's, you know, stacked against you. But the things that are stacked against you are also beautiful. Like your brain is efficient. That's a beautiful thing. It causes problems, but it, it also allows us to be who we are. Um, our social environments can lead us astray and create peer pressure, but our social environments are also very valuable and are precious. So, you know cut yourself some slack. So you make some mistakes. Some of them might be big. Learn, assess, learn, and push forward. Nika, that's beautiful. That's absolutely perfect. Thank you for, for, for sharing that. Um, I wish we had so much more time uh, to talk. It's it's so hard uh, to, to stop here. But sadly, my friends, we've reached the end of the road for this episode. And I want to thank uh, our very dear friend, uh, Nika Kiberi, for joining us uh, today. And I want to thank you listeners for tuning in. Uh, please visit ncbp.org to find out more about the National Conference of Bar Presidents. And if you like what you heard today, please rate and leave us a review on your favorite podcasting app. I'm Patrick Pallas, and we'll see you next time for another episode of On the Road with the Legal Talk Network. If you'd like more information about what you've heard today, please visit legaltalknetwork.com. Subscribe via iTunes and RSS, find us on Twitter and Facebook, or download our free Legal Talk Network app in Google Play and iTunes. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer. <laughs>